0: The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, welcome to The Counter, everybody. Steven Ruiz off this week, and uh, all we did was go and replace him with Mike Golick
1: Jr. Mike, what's up? Guys, I will do my best to somehow fill in admirably here for (laughs) Steven. No promises, Uh, though. I set a low bar. Uh, yeah, uh,
2: we're, 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 it's June. We're, we're not pushing cruise
0: mode right now. Like we're, we're, we're in cruise mode. The right bar now. should be low, right? It's yeah.
1: People should be thinking about the beach, like relaxing. <laughs> Like no. I said, we should be thinking about the same things the NFL players are, getting these dumb mini camps done with and getting on with vacation that's before it. training camp starts. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe getting the vaccine along the way. But that's, uh, maybe. For the love of God. I think are there. Uh, but I want to bring Mike on because, one, like I said, I feel like there's not too much going around, so you might as well just bring on people that we – find interesting and like talking to and uh, I was just kind of going through some offseason stuff yesterday and I realized that like the first reason I wanted to get Mike on because I was looking at the 49ers roster and I was like oh yeah, they drafted this guard from Notre Dame and I've literally never heard of him so maybe we should uh, I'm a little curious to see how that <laughs> uh, maybe we should bring on the Notre Dame offensive line guy but first you can't go any further without talking about this issue that has plagued me since Sunday where I, I dude, I was literally, I, I told this to to Steven and Chris, but like I was on vacation in the DR and I was about to record with Mina before <laughs> I, Oh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and literally like five minutes before I was about to hit record with Mina, the Shannon Sharp, Julio stuff and all, and I was I was dead as on the beach in through the can, like watching Julio Jones highlights, like just could not detach myself. And now he's gone to Tennessee Titans, so I can't let go of this. Uh, as an outside viewer, what's your assessment of like that Julio Jones trade and how the Falcons in general have handled this offseason <laughs>
1: yeah I, I first off thoughts and prayers i saw the uh absolute cascade of very sad old cartoon uh, <laughs> memes and i knew you were in a dark place so yes. I, I he was going through it man uh, <laughs> you know what i can say the best way i found is to just tweet through all of that very yeah. publicly um but no <laughs> uh we've we've all been there but um now you went know, from an outsider's perspective the thing that surprised me most was just hearing all the chatter and i know there have been so much discussion about price tag but then it ended up only being a second in the top end like I'm amazed that there weren't some other teams closer to contention with resources that were willing to throw a first in there uh, to get him in the building I mean for Tennessee it's I I think uh, a bet on just strengthening a strength like they're looking around and saying all right we've watched you know the Kansas City Chiefs try and do this for years. We watched Buffalo have success with it last year. Like, while we hope that our defense can capture something, bring in Bud Dupree over, can get some kind of production out of that pass rush, and we can just continue to load up on an offense that was already able to do and accomplish at a pretty high level, in large part because of Derrick Henry. So, I, 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 from Atlanta's standpoint, I understand it seems like a very confusing offseason. I mean, I, I think they're just unfortunately paying for a lot of the sins in the past when it comes to the way they've butchered financially that organization.
2: Yeah, it's just like there's just a little – a bit of sickness where it's like man like we got Tennessee's offensive coordinator who's brilliant and we're gonna take his offense that he was running with AJ Brown and Corey Davis and we got Julio Jones and or AJ Brown and, and Corey Davis and uh, we're gonna take that offense and run with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones and I think those receivers are better than their receivers and we trade our best receiver to them and we don't have Anything going
1: like across from uh, huh. Kyle We got, Kyle we got Kyle I was gonna say you have like you exchanged one space alien for another. Like for all for all the loving we did on Kyle Pitts, there should still be some good feelings in there. Like I have a feeling he's gonna be able to do a lot of fun stuff for you guys. It'll be a good time.
2: Yeah, but it's not the space alien that I started with. The space alien <laughs> that pulled me down since twenty eleven. Um, but no, it's a thing with the, the Falcons. Is like if I had just come into the off season where I got Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley, like, I'll be like, oh, man, like, this is sweet. Like, we can do something with this. But like I started with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts, and I don't have Julio anymore. But for the Titans, like, I think this is just a massive trade for them because going, you know, coming into the, like, the summer, I thought that wide receiver two might have been kind of a weakness for them because they lost Corey Davis to the Jets. And then they just replace him with Julio Jones. So to me, like that almost kind of offsets some of the stuff that you lose with Arthur Smith because like, your personnel is just upgrading so much in that one spot. Like if Julio Jones is still like the version of Julio Jones that we saw last year when he was healthy, I think that A.J. Brown is like the clear number two
1: receiver on this team. And like that's an insane thing
2: to say about like where your offense is
1: personnel wise. It is. And also like for them to kind of have the wherewithal like AJ Brown's reverence for Julio Jones is a super wholesome part of this whole offseason process. But the fact that he's just like, no, yeah, I'm the number two. Like I understand exactly where I sit. Like (laughs) there's not always that humility in NFL skill rooms or just in skill rooms in general. So for them to kind of all come in and have this understanding. I mean, right, wrong, you know, one way or another, it was going to get to that point. But the fact that it's all so easy and everyone understands, oh, no, we've got such a unique opportunity here is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, so I could talk to you. I believe that this team can still make the playoffs when I look at the rest of the NFC South. Who. <sighs> Uh, <laughs> Let him down easy, man. Let him down easy. Or, or just, just hammer me
1: like it's either either way. <laughs> you know what? I, I Listen, I'm not super confident in their ability to make the playoffs, especially this year. Now, I think what we've always seen with Matt Ryan in this offense, it looks best when it looks like what Arthur Smith is going to bring in. It's not like they don't have anything in the cupboard there. I, you know, I – I think this can still be a team, especially because we're not sure what's going to happen now, what the change. I know everyone thinks, all right, Jameis can go in there and we can replicate some of the top-end push-down-the-field success for the Saints, but it's still not a guarantee. So I think maybe with all the change there and the fact that we've got an expanded postseason, there's an outside chance, but unfortunately I'm not super confident. Oh, it's like, like, I feel like I was trying to like do it as nicely as I can. Like I don't want to lie to you. Like I, I, you know, we're we're internet friends turning into podcast friends here. I want to make this as you know amenable as possible. But uh, you know, there's hope. But some, deal with, deal Matt, Matt Ryan's still a good football player like that's yeah. the one thing that in all of this like I, I've been very weirded out by is this idea that like Matt Ryan is just trash like yes is the contractual situation kind of a nightmare and the albatross that's driving a lot of the situation sure but you're going to get great production out of him I think still for the next few years so that that to me is less in question than how much the uh, the, the contract handcuffs you.
2: Yeah, and I, I guess, like, that's a good point going back to the draft pick at four. Like, to me, the the idea of, like, taking Justin Fields at four, it didn't really have anything to do with Matt, how Matt Ryan could play right now because I, I still expect him to have a pretty good season, which is more about, like, the opportunity cost of being at four and yep. having, like, uncertainty for the future. But, you know, that's gone neither here nor there. And, you know, I, I think if I'm getting myself excited for this season, like, someone's got to take those julio jones targets and i mean based on what we've seen from him when he's healthy you know that could be anywhere from 150 to even 200 that he hit right. back in, in 2015 so like that's a huge uh vacancy now so kyle pitt's like trial by fire and i i based on everything that we've seen from him i don't see like why he would not do well outside of like just some rookie jitters but you know at least, like you said, they, they got the, the tight end cyborg to replace the wide receiver cyborg. Uh, so. Staying on the Falcons for one more question Is it too early for Falcons fans to be Upset with the current regime six Months in
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah that one one I can confidently say yeah we can can Stop sharpening the pitchforks we can Douse the torches for a little while like This is a, a good opportunity Everyone knew the financial Straits here it's a good chance to hit Reset in a couple of ways while again Like the fact that we're still even having The can they make the playoff conversation And it's somewhat realistic is a testament to like it's not so far gone and if they can start to finally financially reset the clock a little bit you've got some really good young parts on this team like and and again like you know this like some of the losses here were mind numbingly painful and embarrassing in certain ways that man if you just clean some of that stuff up which should be especially as a new regime comes in the things that get ironed out quickly like the most quickly I don't even know if that's the right way to use that, but it sounds right. Oh, yeah. Get ironed out faster than most things. So at the very least, I think it could be more put together here as the transition starts.
2: Yeah, I, I really this year I really only have one request of the Falcons. Please, just don't lose to Taysom Hill twice again. Like that, that's <laughs> yeah, the only thing I got. yeah, bro. Like my Saints friends were. Horrific to me last year <laughs> when that happened. <laughs> you know, honestly, that's my fault for having friends that are saints.
0: What friends. if you lose twice to to uh, Jameis Winston though? Oh, I've already done okay that. With that. I've yeah. done that plenty of times before, so that's All fine. Right. You know, Jameis
2: James had like this weird thing when he was a quarterback of the Bucks, where like he would have bad games and play the Falcons and just absolutely shred them. Like, I remember, I want to say it was twenty fifteen Dan Quinn's first year there, maybe twenty sixteen where Jameis converted like a third and 21 run where he broke like seven tackles. I was like, all right, this is... This,
1: this is just what we do around here. <laughs> Dude, listen, I'm t- That's Jameis Winston's destiny is to be like an upgraded Ryan Fitzpatrick for the rest of his NFL career. I, oh like, I think. I think. I love it. I think the best version of him is just chaos quarterback that you bop around to all these different spots. Who, in any given day, could absolutely torch you, and could also be the worst thing about your team. So, I want him to embrace that destiny because I think we're listen. Ryan Fitzpatrick. We just saw his little back to school sign. It's year seventeen. We're gonna have to say goodbye. Him soon, and we need someone to step up. Let's have James be that dude. You know that reminds me. The, the
2: last last hit on this before we move to something else. Uh, have I ever told you guys my nickname for James Winston? <laughs> I've been no. running for like three years now. No, <laughs> Ryan <sits> Trick. <Blacktrick. laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, moving on to the next subject. Uh, let's let's take a step back and go back to the draft real quick because I thought that one interesting thing about. Uh, the 2021 draft in particular is like kind of the offensive line fits that we've seen, uh, that we saw in the draft, you know, from Aaron Banks, the Notre Dame guard that I hadn't heard of, the Penny Sewell. So let's just dive right in with the Notre Dame guy, Aaron Banks. 49 uh, took him in the second round, I believe, towards the end of the second round. Yep. Uh, what What makes this like a, a good fit for the 49ers and for him? And how soon do you expect him to be in the starting lineup?
1: Um, I, I would say sooner than later. Like the the word I always use around the Notre Dame guys is polished. Like you you go back, and this is I think the last class of Notre Dame guys that had Harry Heastand as a coach. Which this is not ever like a knock on Jeff Quinn. It's just Harry was you know he was my you know my last offensive line coach at Notre Dame. He's the one that's helped put so many of those guys into the first round in the draft. Like there's a different level of technical prowess that these guys are going to bring because they got to internalize that for a fair amount of their careers. And Banksy was, Banksy was a super interesting case. So in 2018, he didn't get his first start until the Navy game for Notre Dame. And as soon as they put him in, it was like the the capstone on that thing. He was always such a big physical presence. Like he's the most physically talented lineman on Notre Dame's group from last year that had three guys drafted. I knew Liam Eikenberg, their left tackle was going to be the first guy taken, but I figured Banks wasn't going to be far behind because it's twofold with him. One, again most physical ability he is an absolute definition of a dancing bear in the middle and then two is he's also grown enough technically to get on the field early and there's still room for improvement which is I think why you can take a shot on him in the second there so uh, those guys are going to fit anywhere too. their scheme versatile Notre Dame runs a lot of different blocking schemes up front including that heavy outside zone stuff that you're going to see in the 49ers so I-, I thought I was surprised he went that early but at the same same time i understand it he was always going to be the second guy in that group and i thought he could go anywhere from the second to the third round pretty comfortably
2: yeah it was kind of interesting i guess to me the first thing that popped out when i looked at like his profile was his size because i feel like when you're talking about Shanahan outside zone like you think of of these quicker guards that can move like when i think of you know what he did in houston with guys like chris myers or atlanta with alex mack and uh, Chris Chester that they had during the Super Bowl year and then here comes this 340 pound just behemoth that you know I feel like you don't usually, like usually associate those guys more with like gap schemes, the power schemes, more than uh, the zone scheme so I'm, I'm really interested to see like how that body type kind of translates towards being in a system like that because like if you can get someone like that size moving and getting in space that's a that's that's more than just like a line that's just a straight up weapon
1: no, right. he's and I think he's always done a good enough job moving around in space, like doing a lot of the things that you would expect in that offense. So he's he's a really I wouldn't say impressive athlete, but he moves a lot better than his size should indicate. Like usually, you're right; that would be a plotter. You'd expect them running like duo in Pittsburgh or something like that. Yeah. But I think he's going to fit really well on this one, actually. And I'm sure McGlinch. You know, I'm sure they've had a test study. Now, I don't think Mike McGlinchy has necessarily given them nine. Overall return so far At right tackle but Glinch is a great kid he was another guy that turned Into an absolute physical freak show And so they've got some understanding Of you know what that pedigree Is going to bring there and so I'm sure that gives them a little More comfort in it
2: Uh, right, let's move on to Penny Sewell and I thought that he had uh, He drafted by the line 7th overall For those of you who do not remember And I thought he had some interesting comments A couple weeks ago maybe it was last week It's all kind of blending together now Where he said he, you know, the the move from left tackle to right tackle was, uh, I guess, a challenge for him. And I thought it was interesting the amount of former offensive linemen that kind of came out and said, yeah, like this is actually a real thing. Because I feel like a lot of fans, like they think about it like Madden, where, you know, I can just flip a guy from right to left, put in that guard center. It doesn't really matter as long as he's in a three-point stance. It's all the same. So. What do you think is you know fr- from your perspective if you've done it like what is what makes that switch hard from left side to right side?
1: Yeah, so I, I think, I forget if it was Joe Thomas or TJ Lang that's, that's made the comparison, but it's it's literally like trying to wipe your ass with the opposite hand. Like, if you just think about how weird and uncomfortable that is, that's how uncomfortable it is to make the switch. And, and I was thinking more about this for a guy like Panay, who has been great. Like, since he stepped foot on campus at Oregon, he has been great. He's been an elite talent. And so he's only ever been asked to do one thing we know. And that's why we prioritize a lot of these guys that have played both sides. But like I was a backup for most of my career before I got to be a starter. If I was going to try and make it on anyone's roster, I was going to have to play anywhere. And so I was kind of always practicing and working on the steps for an opposite hand. And it was still a difficult transition to make because not only are you trying to like overcome your body's own biomechanics and what you get used to movement pattern wise but now you got to flip all the plays in your head now you know the different numbers mean different things for you at this point just because you've got to sort of mirror everything and so for a player who a has only had to do one thing because he has been so great I think you've been less inclined to go and practice a lot more of those things but Mm -hmm. it's just also like Panay is also still you saw him growing technically going back to that 2020 or 2019 season since he opted out in 2020 like for a player with as much ability as he is, technique-wise, you saw him improving in things in the middle of games, game after game every year, like the Washington game was a, a real zenith, like a real coming-out mm-hmm. party for Panay that season. So I, I just think all those factors together, we're going to make this transition tough. But, again, he's also so gifted that right, he'll yeah. probably be more, able, more, more capable of making the switch.
0: Do you, yeah, you that's think so it's the right good. move? Like, I mean, do you think – Asking him to do both at the same time rather than keeping him there and asking Decker or somebody else to play, you know, who's been in the league and can presumably make that transition.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if I had my druthers, I'd probably just keep them at left. Like, I'd make it as simple as possible for the guy who is unbelievably talented and we know can go and lock people down out there, let a veteran make that switch, even one who's performed well for you as Decker. But um, I'm sure they're banking on what we just said there at the end, though. He's young. He's incredibly gifted. He's a dynamic athlete. He'll be able to make this switch and and, you know, kind of even out the mistakes with his ability. Yeah, that was my kind of takeaway of I it. Mean, like, I'm sure
2: it will be difficult for at first, but he's also Panay Like, you
0: know.
2: You <laughs> <laughs> were locking down dudes oh. at 18 years old. Like, I, I, I believe in the talent enough that he'll be able to kind of figure it out. Maybe, maybe it'll be a, a few lumps along the road, but I, I, I don't have any doubts about him turning to, like, a top-shelf right tackle in the league. But I'm, I'm still interested to see, like, how this turns out for him. And then uh, the other tackle that was taken not too long after Panay Sewell in the first round was Sean Slater uh, from Northwestern, you know, it was interesting because I felt like at the start of kind of like his draft prospect, process, at least when it came to the media after the season, like a lot of people were talking to him, Oh, you know, Carolina might take him at eight and stick him at guard. Does he have the side to play left tackle? And then he falls to the chargers at 13. And, uh, you know, they're saying, no, he's our left tackle from day one. He's going to do this. And from watching the film, like I, i don't see why you would feel the need to put him at guard but you know i had six four three ten three fifteen does that should that give fans pause about like his ability to play left tackle or is it just more of a situation like turn on the film dude
1: yeah i, I think it's one of those like a, a, it's different for every guy like i remember going through this when zach was coming out in the draft years ago like not having the right size like could have absolutely played tackle in the NFL but with Rashawn too I, the biggest thing that works in his favor and as a lot of people had the debate of whether he should be the first tackle taken or not I know a lot of people that I respected who liked him more than Panay because uh, he's a little bit more of a polished stone coming out of this right like technically a little further ahead I think he does actually a lot of the same things uh, I, I remember I was going back and looking at draft notes is he's got some like full extend punch to him but he's also got a fair amount of like the Jonah Williams double underhook that in its own way can kind of help you overcome some physical limitations if you start messing with the angles and messing with the levers on pass rushers so I think Rashawn's going to be fine there I think the beauty for him and the Chargers is unfortunately for the Chargers injury has been the number one thing that's plagued your O-line for basically the last decade so having a guy you're confident at a high level plugging in at a bunch of positions Seems unfortunately like something you've got to prepare for there, but I think you'll be fine at tackle.
2: Yeah, and, and just me like the size is, I guess you know, not super prototypical for a left tackle, a six four three hundred oh, four. But like everything else on like the, the the pro day was just crazy. Four nine forty ran a shuttle in four four seconds, three cones seven four. Like this is one of the best athletes at right tackle or at left tackle, and then. You know, a vertical leap of 33, which, you know, I'm not sure that people quite understand, like, because because you you get so inundated at the combine where, you know, I remember like Keanu Neal, like he'll jump like 42 inches and 11 feet on the broad jump. But I've always been more impressed by like the big guys that can get to like 33
1: and 34. Oh man, it was it was Slater and then Brady Christensen from BYU. I looked at those numbers and I kept rechecking them. I was like, how how did it do that? How did something that large move that well? So, yeah, no, there's with freaks like that and especially guys that are like technically as far ahead as Rashawn is for guys coming out, like I don't worry nearly as much about the size because you can negate a fair amount of that when you're as dialed in as he appears to be, and when you've got that kind of horsepower in your engine. Mm-hmm. Just in general, like what do you make of the the moves that the charters did on the off of the line this year? Because
2: I know they signed Corey Lindsley from uh green bay and i think they signed i forget his name but they signed like a right tackle from pittsburgh to kind of shore that up so
1: yeah it was uh, matt filer so they I brought know. him over there and then um i think was it ode Obishi? Uh, from Detroit that they brought over too. But, yeah, in general, I mean, this is always the tough part with the Chargers is on paper I've liked moves in the past that they've made up front. It's just, man, can you keep these guys on the field for long enough to realize gains on this? Like I think Corey Lindsey will do a good job locking down the center of that thing. Filer was productive in spots. Bulago, do well for you. at Right tackle still. Like I think it's going to be a solid group in front. It's just like every other unit with the Chargers. Can you actually keep them on the field for a long time? enough time. Yep. Uh,
2: so I think we can go to our burning questions. Now that Stephen and I wrote this week, Stephen over to the AFC, I took the NFC. Uh, since Steven's not here, Corman, do you want to cover his questions? You bet.
0: You know, that one of them was about Josh Allen. Cause yeah, <laughs> always goes, <to> Josh <laughs> Allen. uh, can Josh Allen avoid statistical regression? Uh, and Stephen actually admitted in the post that, uh, Josh Allen might be a better quarterback this year but the stats won't show it uh just because there's so many things under pressure uh things that he excelled at last season that we know usually just regresses.
2: Yeah. Yeah. With Josh like, I I I agree with that assessment. I it's because it's hard to just keep up like peak efficiency from year to year. Like I think there's absolutely like technical strides he could make and he just doesn't not not that like I'm projecting the bad statistical year from him, but he doesn't just like have like the blow out the door, seventy percent completion percentage, almost five thousand yards, forty touchdowns. Like right. he can take a step back number wise and still be a better player. Like I think that's feasible for him.
1: Okay. Yeah, I can say this continued climb that we've seen that's basically dispelled like anything we've thought about a quarterback's ability to improve accuracy I think is probably allowed to slow a little bit and it's still not be like... I, you know. I was one of the people that wasn't sold on Josh Allen coming out. I took a lot longer to get to him. It was like... Josh Allen for me was like every Drake album that's ever come out where I've tried to resist it at first and I haven't always, <laughs> through the first listen, enjoyed everything. And then after a while, I keep coming back to it and I'm like damn, this shit's actually pretty good. Like, I think yeah. I've just got to, you know, you know, sack up and admit it. <laughs> oh my God. I, I wholly relate to you there.
2: <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I my friends were so obsessed with Drake. I'm like, yo, this sucks. Like, This is not good. Next thing you know,
1: you're like, I'm singing come through to myself. Like, <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: we're,
1: we're driving to 6 a.m. workouts and my buddy puts Marvin's room on and no one complains. I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> that's just, that's a different level of talent, man. That, that dude's untouchable.
2: Um, <sighs> Next question, Cleveland Browns. How good is Baker Mayfield? I I can't get an
1: opinion on this one. I feel like Baker Mayfield's good enough right like i think that would probably be my assessment in this like i said i think cleveland just needs to you know draw the contract up and get this thing done like would i have like the weird conversations about not wanting to trade him for aaron Rodgers if that were a possibility of the dumbest things on earth of course you do that yeah i i the, the weird like i appreciate loyalty from fans because so often they are anything but in situations like this but you got to do that. That being said, like he's been good enough for them. And especially in the context of this offense, I think to say, we got a good thing. Let's not screw it up right now.
0: Uh, yeah,
2: that's kind of where am I with that? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no reason not to, especially given that like, their franchise history, like there's no reason not to give them a second contract. Uh, I just kind of wonder, like, if the, if the, if you get that second deal, does this turn into a golf situation where you're like, damn, like we got the quarterback, but he's not quite good enough to boy the rest of this offense. Uh, that's just my only question. But I do think he's a, he's a good bit better than than Derek Goff. And I'm, I'm kind of expecting uh, a big statistical year from Baker this year because I think, you know, he, he didn't – it's not like he had like elite production last year. It's just kind of like some of the best production that Browns fans have seen in a while. So uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what that next step – and the offense looks like. And I also am interested in the Browns because I just refuse to let go of this notion that people are saying that the Browns were better off without Odell Beckham on the field. Like if he's healthy, I feel like that's one of those offenses that can score like 40 a game. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the last AFC team, Jacksonville Jaguars. Will Urban Meyer work at the NFL level?
1: Oh man. Oh, this is this is gonna be good. He's he's not he's not made it easy on us to start, has he? He has not. No, he has no. not. <laughs> All right.
2: oh. Yeah, I mean with between the strength coach thing and the, the Tebow stuff, like I like I, I don't well I'll say this this has kind of me and Steven stance this whole time. Like I don't really have uh, a worry that Urban can put a competitive NFL product on the field. Because I, I feel like just in terms of, like, coaching chops, like, I don't see why he would, like, completely be overwhelmed by this. But it's just, you know, it's not the only part of this. Like, it's it's just the whole organizational view. And it's just kind of hard to be like, oh, I'm so confident that this is something that has staying power beyond just, like, a couple of seasons, just based on how we've gotten started so far.
1: Yeah, I I generally tend to give way to the same things, like – his success and the way he's been able to like adapt the way that success looks at a lot of different stops gave me a fair amount of hope going into this as did like a really young roster, right? Like it'd be tough to walk into a veteran laden team and try and make this college transition. And I mean, they're likely going to have to deal with some of the growing pains of a guy who's used to dealing with players in a certain way that you're allowed to at one level versus another, even for someone who, you know, for urban Meyer, maybe he's not the biggest hard ass in the world, But I think there's still an adjustment period that's kind of somewhat alleviated by the young roster that they have and helped out by the fact that Trevor Lawrence gets to be your quarterback at the beginning of all this, which is a huge leg up for anyone in life.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm kind of interested in in the Jaguars chances, you know, as we sit here and wonder, will Urban Meyer work at the NFL level? I'm also kind of worrying, like, can the Jags win this division? Like, if things break right for them, if Trevor Lawrence is as good as advertised. Well, Texans is not a real football team right now. Uh, you have the Colts, who I think are taking a step back at quarterback from Rivers to Wentz. And then, like, the Titans are are your big competition in that decision, division. But if the offense is good, like, I think this team might be able to make a run at the AFC South title, as as ludicrous as that sounds after having the number one overall pick.
1: Yeah, it's. I think one of the things that – I'm really quietly interested in is like we all know like the outrage that went on around the draft when you take Travis Etienne at the end of the first round. Like I I didn't agree with that pick at that spot and I think Etienne's a great player, but you Mm -hmm. saw this start to devolve into the discussion about, you know, Urban's always had that jack-of-all-trades guy came up when they did the receiver stuff during rookie minicamp with him, but I mean the stuff you're hearing out right now is all about LaVisca Chenault who seems tailor made for that role in the Urban Meyer offense so i'm wondering how the reps kind of get delegated there for that guy and like the you know not to compare them to this guy but to say in that like percy harvin-esque role in the offense Yes.
2: Yeah, and honestly, I, I had the same questions with Kadarius Tony, the pick with the, the Giants. Like, I think Tony definitely has a spot on an NFL offense, but with like the current setup of the, the giants, giants,
0: have a lot of other players. Yeah. <laughs> right, they have a role.
2: <laughs> right, they have a lot of players that can do what Tony does. Like, are you going to pull away targets from Saquon Barkley or Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton or Evan Ingram? Like, that's, that's going to be a little tough fit for them. But you know, that's not my job to figure out. So. Uh, NFC burning questions. Uh, Chicago Bears. Can Justin Fields be good enough to save jobs as a rookie? Because
1: that's what he's got to do. <laughs> well, I, like that's got to be that's got to be like make the playoffs good, right? Yeah. Because well, like, what, what, what
2: if they go like seven and ten, and he finishes like top fourteen in
1: pass efficiency stats? I I think they fire everybody then. Okay. I, so, well, I mean, like, I just I always go back to like, what does the history of the NFL tell us? Right, when you get a good young rookie quarterback that comes in to a staff that's kind of limping into the season, if he performs well, ownership tends to look and say, "All right, well, we don't want you messing this up the way you messed the other stuff up." And all this, like, it happened with the Rams when Jared Goff got there. It happened to Hugh Jackson when Baker Mayfield got there in the Browns. Like, it happened to an extent with to Lovie Smith when Jameis Winston got down there to Tampa. Like. I just keep going back and looking at, all right, these, because it used to be like, all right, you'd kind of break glass in case of emergency, play the rookie the back half of the year and think it would buy you time. But it seems like more and more people are just like, nah, we're going to find someone that we like better to coach the really good kid. Right.
2: Yeah. And I like, they do have. Like a couple of interesting pieces at, at skill receiver or at skill receiver at skill <laughs> positions. It, it's not a totally barren offense. Like Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, uh, Anthony Miller. Like I think you could do worse than that as like a, a receiver trio. And obviously Robinson, I think he's one of the better receivers in the league. And then at running back, you have David Montgomery, uh, who I mean is is a pretty effective back. So it's not there. It's just like, man, like that's a lot of pressure for a rookie. I I hope he doesn't like take it to heart. Like if guys get fired, when, you know, if he, if he plays like a rookie, you know, it's just, it's just a really weird tense situation that they got going on in Chicago right now. Uh, Arizona Cardinals. Is this a year that Cliff Kingsbury finally shows that he is in fact an offensive genius? I want to, I want to say first, like Cliff has been better than what they had before this uh, because when Josh Rosen was there with Steve Wilkes, like that was one of the worst offenses that I have personally ever seen Uh, so Cliff and Kyle they've been better but I feel like you know you you just kind of expected more if you're going to take this guy who didn't really win that much of Texas Tech than to have just like a middle of the pack offense for the past two seasons like it was fine to have a middle of the pack offense the first year because you were just coming from the depths of hell but now like I feel like we need to start seeing a little bit more from like the whole, you know,
1: organization up there, especially on offense. Yeah, it's I I wanted to be so excited about this offense going into the season for like one guy in particular, too. Like I I've wanted AJ Green out of Cincinnati for so long, and yeah. it just feels like it's going to end up like a Mayweather Pacquiao situation where it happened way too late to be as fun as I expected it to be. Yeah.
2: But, you know, just in general, like,
1: Cliff, come on. Like, you
2: you got to do – I feel like you just, just got to do a little bit more than you did last year. You can uh, DeAndre Hopkins, so
0: Rondo Moore. Is his weakness – is it scheme or – it seems like game day decisions are at least part of it, which, you know, we saw that in college too. Like, I'm just not sure where he's – he just hasn't put it together. He just doesn't seem to – to yeah, really the present. funny thing to me with Cliff is, like, he's really good at designing run games. Like, their, their run game has been yeah. pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's fantastic.
2: I mean, he got people to draft Kenyon Drake, like, in the top five of the Kansas drafts. So, you know, it, it's just funny that he was brought in to be like this pass game wizard. We're going to fix the passing offense. We're going to draft Colin Murray. But in reality, like, his biggest effect has been within the run game and how they've kind of schemed that up. And, how they've manipulated light boxes a lot, but I just want to see more of them passing in because I just believe in Kyle Murray's talent, obviously DeAndre Hopkins' talent, sure. making maybe- <laughs> you...
1: Put him run it. Look be fought. Yeah, not not to make everything about this podcast about the O line, but the Robbie Hudson acquisition. Like, oh, I'm yeah. very interested to see the kind of dividends that pays because we all were just looking at the Raiders. Like, what the hell is going on here exactly? So, I feel like you know, one guy can't make all the difference at that position, but it can sure as shit help a lot, especially with the quarterback that you want to see continue to thrive. Right.
2: Uh, last team for our burning questions. The Detroit Lions, the most burning team of all time. Can this team look like a respectable football team in year one of a rebuild? And also just a general Dan Kimball impression so far.
1: <laughs> Man, like, you know what? Even if you're going to be like, bad to just not great. All I can ask is that you be interesting. So at the very least, like I know Dan Campbell is going to keep me well fed as a sports talk radio gas bag, and I appreciate that much.
0: What about as an NFL player? Like if you were like a veteran player, 10 years in the league and it's oh. like, we're gonna bite kneecaps. Like how does that play? To
1: I, I I remember I was on we were taping highly questionable the day that happened and that was news that I think broke like right before the show. And my like Most initial gut reaction I just looked at Bumani and I think it was Izzy on the show and I went If I'm a veteran player on that team I heard that press conference and said shit we're about to run so much nine on seven in practice like it is gonna be full pads knee braces and training camp like all of the worst things on earth with that kind of attitude walking in
2: but it's funny because like i I was sitting there the first time i heard him speak i'm like damn like this is kind of crazy like i never really heard anyone talk like this before and then he goes out (laughs) and he hires like all these black dudes like to run his team i'm like whoa hold on Hold on now maybe I can uh maybe I can drive with this for a little bit but you know I'm I'm interested just because it's just such a 180 personality shift from what they had with uh Matt Patricia I mean like I saw I saw clips of like Dan Campbell like getting in drills with guys I'm like okay this is this is like a complete culture shift so you know at, at first I was like raising I eyebrow out this, but now I'm, I'm kind of rooting for like the whole thing to, to work out because it seems like it's going to be fun. But I will say, back to the original question, can it look like a respectable football team? I start looking at this, like the offense and the pass is going to be tough, but you got Taylor Decker, Ragno at center, De- or Sewell at right tackle. You got Swift in the backfield with... Uh, I forget who they got. And I, actually, I don't think they have a real backup yet, but like, that, that could be a running game
1: that's watchable. Oh, they uh, they uh, they signed Jamal Williams this offseason right. from Green right. Bay. So, that – they actually could. And, I mean, I man, I keep hoping I'm, like, shamelessly addicted to Iowa tight ends here. I feel like we get, like, a big TJ Hawkinson campaign at some point, especially yeah, he, with how light they are in receiver. Like, that dude's a freak.
2: Yeah, he, he also had a pretty good year last year. 700 yards, six touchdowns. Like, it could have – it could have gone worse for him. I mean – and it's just like I know that the receiver is not great and Goff is kind of seen as I guess Trey Fodder at this point, but it, it it doesn't seem like this is like a complete bottom me now like it's being sold. Because I like they got some they got a couple pieces on offense and then uh like the defense is tough, but if Akuda steps up this year and uh the guy they, they re-signed, Romeo Ocaro, if he takes another step as a pass rusher, like, they got some pieces it's just... I'm, I'm really interested to see where they end up in the draft uh, next year because I don't think that this is quite a number one overall pick quality roster. Uh... Mailbag questions. Before we let you go, we got a few. Uh, <laughs> the first one is just something that I stared at. I stared at this for like 30 minutes last night trying to decipher what it says. I asked the person, not that I, I responded back. Hey, I you, don't know. you don't
0: get it? Why do they call it an oven when you of in the cold food, but then you take out the hot food? So why is not called like a takeout or something?
1: Oh! Oh! Wow. wow! Okay. Well, let's 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 take a step back here. Okay. You know what? You speak the language of at
2: freedom pimp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got yeah. So we got this question from Liz, a Bailey Logan Paul Taylor and Dana fan at freedom pimp twenty twelve why do they call it oven when you oven in the cold food of out hot eat the food <laughs>
0: <laughs> the rest of the sentence is just...
2: <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Like yo, Liz, what 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 are these words? Like I know they're words, but I don't know if they go together. But me you seem to I
0: feel like it. Liz has probably asked this question of like every mailbag, like like political, ma- like, <laughs> uh, like 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 uh, Maggie Haberman has done a mailbag, and she's been like, can you answer this for me? She's just she's on a quest yeah. to figure this out.
1: <laughs> yeah. okay. I, to I can't imagine this is a mailbag qu- uh, question submitted like in a sa- state of sobriety either, right? Yeah. Like oh, no, no. You take you take one deep breath and it's like you know what forget the driveway and parkway shit let's go to of in and of out (laughs) Liz
2: uh, if your dealer is in the tri-state area let me know Uh, (laughs) from Mike Zordon at MD Zordon what's it like to be one of the few people on earth to successfully block Aaron Donald
1: (laughs) Man, I got to give a, a, a shout-out to my buddy Plants for throwing some random clip from the 2012 Notre Dame-Pitt game out there and catching, like, the one block where I managed to get a hat across Aaron Donald at 3 Tech. I'll say this. To this day, the biggest accomplishment of my athletic career was staying off Aaron Donald's draft day highlight reels. Like, all the <laughs> – like, those ones that you – I'll never forget. My buddy Eric Olsen, like, ended up playing in the NFL for a while. He was a really good interior lineman for us but he was playing on a peg leg with a high ankle sprain when we went on the road to Boston college and BJ Raji and Ron Brace were on the cover of the media guide. And I promise you, Eric was on BJ Raji's draft day pre highlight reel, probably four or five different times. And I said, all right, that that's the goal is you just can't let that happen because Eric was a really good player and I cannot afford to be getting you know absolutely toe tagged on someone's draft reel. Okay. Well. What's, what's the hardest part about blocking Aaron Donald? Uh, just having to prepare for so many things, right? Like, it, it's. I, I remember talking to a, an NFL lineman about going up against J.J. Watt, and it was kind of a similar thing. Is Like, most guys, it's like, all right, I know they don't have the speed to threaten me upfield, or I know that if they're even faking speed to power, it's all just a front. They just want to get to my shoulder you know you can kind of get a toolbox for most guys that you're going up against for Aaron Donald and at that point I didn't have like I had imperfect cell Aaron Donald like he wasn't in his final form quite yet but um it still was a guy that you had to prepare for a lot more than most and so I think it's just walking up with that kind of variable and someone who is that comfortable like getting into such a wide three like as a guard facing an athlete like that's a nightmare like that's not what I signed up for I signed up to put hands on Sad people. So he <laughs> yeah. uh, he just he threatens you with a lot more that you've got to kind of account for at every step. And like I always hated the guys that were going to try and like backdoor you or jump around because it's hard oh, yeah. to move these guys out. You're loading up. If I'm you know, going to block him as a three tech, I'm loading up my left leg at the start of that, getting ready to haul ass and try and plant my shoulder in his chest. And the minute you go there and he just jujitsu's pat you on the backside and is quick enough to get back up field, it's like wh- what the hell am I supposed to do here then? It's like blocking. It's like blocking the wind.
2: Yeah, I remember when I was uh, in high school and college. I played defensive line, and I used to like. I feel like you know, like all young football players. You like you go on YouTube and you look up like your favorite players and try to take tricks and tips and tricks from their game. And I used to watch. Aaron Donald pit like every week when Aaron Donald pit 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 I was watching game on YouTube the next day and then one day like I had this realization like I can't do any of this like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, 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 I'm like I, I'm not 280 pounds running up 4'6 like what am I doing let me go
1: watch something else that's a little bit more of my speed <laughs> that, that is the problem though is Aaron Donald's also like 6 feet tall barely right. and so he gave so many like you know how many D-line coaches are like Shit, I'm going to have to try and explain to all these short D linemen I was telling to never put swim moves on guys why they can't go out and do it now.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Just a a complete anomaly in every other way. Uh, We got two questions left. Uh, One from Damaged Goods at Cage Musings. When's the last time Gojo had to tap out from eating because it was just too much food? (sighs) Ooh. You want me to give my answer while you're here? All right, so when I was a sophomore at Gettysburg College, we (laughs) uh, basically had a competition to see who could eat 100 McNuggets in an hour with no sauces. Uh, Oh, wow. Among my friend group, I hold the record because I was able to wolf down 88 – no, 89 McNuggets in – with no ketchup no mustard no nothing like that just one glass of water and by the end I got to 80 and I was like god damn it like I gotta finish this like I gotta get to 100 I'm already in pain let me see if I can get to 100 (laughs) I was dunking I was dunking the nuggets in the water and swallowed them mole. Oh my god! And I swear to god, I skipped class for two days. I didn't eat for two yeah, days. What was <laughs> the aftermath of this?
0: Yeah,
2: like- uh, the aftermath was a lot of sitting on the toilet and a lot of weed and a lot of Grand Theft Auto Five.
0: Have you had a McNugget since then? Like, are you- uh, I,
2: I went like seven years without a McNugget. Okay. And once the pandemic started <laughs> up again, I was like, you know what, let me go get my vices.
1: Man, that that se- that actually seems like an appropriate amount of time after that ordeal. Oh my god, yeah. you were just full Joey Chestnut in that shit.
2: Oh yeah, I was. I and then the funny part was, I lived, I lived like, you know, maybe seventy five yards from where we eat Mc Nuggets. I had to get someone to drive me home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, mine is unfortunately not nearly as cool as that one here, but it's it as soon as I really put some thought into this, it all goes back to new Orleans. So my last off season, uh, the last off season program was with, with the saints. And I probably gained 10 pounds during that off season, like, and just going out. Cause I was like, you know what? I want to really get a sense. I had done the off season program and got cut in June the year before. And I was like, I really want to get a sense of the city and like, you know, enjoy some time around here. And so I was just going and trying restaurants on the weekends and, uh, that gets you fat real quick down there. So, uh, I ended up going one day, I was down in like the lower garden district walking around there. I had gone somewhere and eaten a few gator hot dogs, trying to get the lay of the land. And then I stumble upon this place called Sucre, which is like a dessert spot and end up eating like a nine scoop ice cream sundae in there. <laughs> FaceTiming my dad after I'm going, I don't know if this is possible, but I think I cracked a rib from the inside out. <laughs> I had to just go back to my hotel room and lay down and try and like massage my rib back into place for the next four hours after that because New Orleans is not for the faint of heart.
0: All right. Corman, you got any stories? Uh, none, none nearly as good as that. No, uh, that sandwich we had at La Famosa the other day was, was, was very unique. good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably going to go back meat. this weekend and get another one before I head back. Oh, yeah. To-
2: yeah. Uh, all right. Last question. From Charles Crying Online McDonald at Ford Works. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on the first episode of Loki on Disney Plus? And uh, what's some other stuff you've enjoyed watching while sitting inside over the past year? Oh, man. did you? Have you guys both watched Loki already? I watched the first episode.
0: I haven't yet. I read some stuff we wrote about it, though. It's awesome.
1: Yeah. I, 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 Charles, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was the best start of any of the limited series so far. And I don't even think it's particularly close. Oh, definitely. Because I remember watching. Um, oh, my
2: God. What was the show with the 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 red guy and WandaVision? WandaVision. Yeah. I remember I watched the first episode of it. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know if this is <laughs> something I'm going to be into. But that Loki first episode was it like it, it,
1: it, it shot like a little movie almost like it was it was really well done. It, it gave me, like, big Stranger Things vibe. Like, the entire score of it, the general tone, it was eerie. And, like, it was supposed to be, like, clearly the final scene of the episode. Like, it's supposed to kind of have some of that eeriness to it, especially with all the... You know, not to spoil it for anybody, but all the the time elements, they kind of play with it and that. But no, and like I say this again, like I loved WandaVision. Like as we got to Falcon and Winter Soldier and people were like trying to retroactively slander WandaVision, I I couldn't do it. I thought it was so creative. But this is like the normal Marvel pacing that you would get that we got in Falcon and Winter Soldier with, I think, like a similar level of creativity and interest in the character that we got from WandaVision.
2: Yeah. And, and just like, though, I'm a, I'm a big fan of and I, I guess one of the things that, that is so captivating about the MCU in general is like for me, I'm a big fan of world building and uh, yep. piecing all this stuff together over several movies. So, like, I, I like the fact that this Loki show looks like it's going to tie us into, like, the next wave of uh, MCU movies. So I'm excited about that. But what are some other stuff
1: that you watched uh, during pandemic times? So I, I went back at the um, at the urging of Mina Kimes and Katie Nolan and watched halt and Catch Fire. Um, that was like, I think it was it was on AMC in like 2017 it started or something in that range. It was supposed to be the heir apparent to Breaking Bad in real time. I don't think it did that well, but it's about a group of people working in like the burgeoning tech industry. I think starting in like the, the early 80s, right around that period there and just everything they go to. I'm not sure if either of you guys have seen it. It might be the second or third best show I've ever seen. It is... So captivating, and, and like I think when I was talking to Mina, she put it best. Like, it's an unbelievable show about people who love their work to a level that like a lot of people I think can can really identify with, but can also see all right when it goes too far. But like, it's it's an incredible show. Like the core four characters you grow to really love by the end. I loved it so much.
0: Yeah, uh, I've got had a real cult, cult following now. Yeah, it's I mean,
2: yeah, it's great. Uh, I kind of went back and watched just like some old stuff. Like, I, I had like a A week where i was just like my brain's breaking i can't do anything i watched like 15 seasons of one or like 10 days (laughs) hell yeah a lot of of reruns a lot of disney plus stuff uh some older shows i hadn't seen but
1: (laughs) i also i I did the office for the first time during the pandemic i had never watched that from start to finish before and i had always been one of the people that stand parks and rec and said blindly that it was better than the office and so i wanted to watch the office finally just to confirm my findings and your findings were, yeah parks and rec is still better
2: okay <laughs>
1: i just and the, the office never made me really love any of the characters the way parks and rec did like it was very funny the writing was all quick steve Carell, like oh all, all the normal praise is due it's just i i enjoyed the connection i got with parks and rec more
2: that's very fair uh all right i think that wraps up a, a pretty fun episode of the counter before we let you out of here anything you're working on
1: uh not just the usual four to seven eastern monday through friday on espn radio the podcast to chenangle junior wherever you can get that and uh yeah looking looking forward to you know hopefully having some more stuff lined up as we get closer and closer to college football season especially awesome thank you so much for joining us man we really appreciate it thanks guys appreciate you the counter an nfl podcast from usa today sports